0: Me and Mike and I might surprise ya. Meet me at the water and I'll baptize ya. Yo, wait for my signal. Now bust out the hymnal. Back to church, we going back to church. Put the fam in the band, man, back to church. Back to church, we going back to church. Everybody in the nation, find a location. Back to church, we going back. Yo, I get it. It's been a while, maybe a small church. Everybody knows your name, I'm not here, to judge or need me. just get down to the church, big me, back to church, it's a celebration, what you waiting for, here's your invitation. Oh. Now I hope that you're ready, cause when daddy hit the stage, it's about to get sweaty, we get wild, when I flow like the Nile, got you dancing in the house saying, oh child, now please somebody.
1: September 16th, 2012. Does that inspire you? (laughs) All right. Welcome, everybody. We're glad you're here this morning and uh, welcome you. We welcome our guests, especially. You're very important to us, and we're glad that you're here. And hope you'll feel a part of our family as we worship God together. Let me remind everyone of, of our attendance sheets that are on each row. We'd like to ask, if you would, to take that and to fill it out. Give us as much information as you feel comfortable giving to us. And uh, we would appreciate you doing that for us today. Uh, the video that you just saw uh, is, is a back-to-church back video. And we'll be seeing some more in the next few weeks uh, about, uh, about the Back-to-Church Sunday. That's coming up. On September the the 16th, um, and I know we kind of threw one in here a few weeks ago, kind of just really it was just kind of a spur of the moment thought. And then I found out that there really is a Back to Church Sunday, uh, which is September the 16th. And this is an opportunity for us to invite people back to church. How many of you know people who used to go to church but don't go anymore? Almost everybody here knows people who used to go to church but they don't go anymore. And some people have have some legitimate reasons that they've uh, they've been out of church for a while, but a lot of these people will get back to church if you invite them. And so this is an opportunity for you to invite them back to church and we're going to be giving you some resources to do that in the next few weeks. But keep that date in mind. This is a good opportunity. It kind of goes along with getting back to school and and back from summer vacation. It's time to get back in church, too. So keep that in mind and be thinking about somebody that you can invite back to church, and especially on that September 16th date, but also for all the dates after that. And you don't have to wait until then either. You You can do it before then as well. A few other things we have going on. Uh, a delicious breakfast this morning uh, with, with our Upward Kickoff breakfast. Thank you so much for those, uh, to those of you who uh, helped and, and prepared that breakfast. Uh, did we sign up a bunch of volunteers today? Got a good, some good volunteers signed up uh, for our Upward Basketball and Cheerleading. And if you would like to, to volunteer for that, uh, we need lots of volunteers. This is a labor-intensive ministry uh, a lot of people are involved in a lot of different things. And guess what? You don't have to know a thing about basketball or cheerleading, and we can find you something to do. We can find you something to do, and we could use your help. So if you would like to volunteer in any way, see Matthew and anybody else, or or Christine or me or just Sybil or... Mary or anybody, you know, anybody, and uh, we'll we'll get you signed up. Our brochures are set to go uh, be delivered to the schools tomorrow. How are we doing with cookies? We need some cookies. Okay, alright. We, we need some more cookies. And for you, those of you who don't know, we deliver these brochures to all of the elementary schools, and I think middle school as well, uh, here in, in Henderson County. All of the schools in the county. And, and what we do is we bribe the teachers to give them out with cookies. And so we need some homemade cookies. If you can have them here by nine o'clock tomorrow morning, then we can, uh, uh, bribe our teachers so we can get the, these uh, brochures out. Wednesday, we uh, have our Wednesday programs. Um, this Wednesday, dinner at 545. We have youth and children's programs starting at 630, and our adult Bible study begins at 630 as well. And uh, this week's Bible study, we've been doing a, a series on the, the courage of faith, and, um, or courageous faith. And this week's program is The Courage of witness. And so I hope you'll be here for that. Uh, Remind our missions ministry team, we do have a meeting today at 4, and I hope you'll you'll be there for that if you're involved with that. Uh, But now I think it's time for us to share the love of God with one another. So let me invite you to stand and greet each other in the name of the
2: Lord.
3: We're missing our lead singer this morning, so I guess Tim Hobbs will have to get up and sing. Tim, Tim's going to lead us. No, wait. Oh, no. Hold, here comes Keith. You guys are lucky. You're, you're lucky Keith showed up. we got a couple of guest musicians with us today. I want to take just a moment to introduce them. Back here on our bass guitar is uh, Sonny Garrett. He's Mo's younger brother. Mr. Rick Wilson, he's on keyboards, and we're going to be playing some songs for you this morning. This first one is one I'm sure you know, it's uh, called Trading My Sorrows. Rick.
0: We say yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, amen. I am pressed but not crushed, persecuted not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. I am blessed beyond the curse, for His promise will endure. But His joy is going to be my strength. Though the sorrow may last for the night, His joy comes with the morning. I'm trading my sorrow, and I'm trading my shame.
4: Yes, Lord,
0: yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Amen. Let me hear y'all do it. listen y'all now. Say yes, Lord, yes, 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 Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Amen.
3: Down, kids, for the uh, children's moment. Miss Phyllis.
2: guys today? Everybody doing pretty good? How was school so far this week? Any of you in school? You did? You're good. Well, I'm here to talk to you today about something that Brother Tim is going to preach on. And uh, here's the word. The word is steward. I thought this was kind of funny when I had this this topic because I didn't know what I was going to be talking about. This used to be my last name before I met Mr. Jim, and it was spelled exactly like that, steward, so it didn't give me any trouble writing it. But it means something different than a last name. If you are a steward, it means that you are in charge of taking care of precious or valuable things, okay? So. When God made the earth and all the creatures, and then made man and woman, He put man and woman in charge of everything, all the things of the earth. And when we are in charge of those things, being good stewards, that's called stewardship. Now, for Christians, stewardship has a particular meaning, and it means. That we are to appreciate all the things that God gave us and that we are to be very grateful for them. What are some things that God has given you that you're grateful for? What do you have that you're grateful for? Are you awake? What about anybody have a pet? Mommy and Daddy, that's a good one. And you have a pet? Okay. Okay, that's great. And do you have toys? So see, you have a lot of things to be grateful for. And when we are grateful, Jesus asks us to be generous. Now, we could say that Miss Mary, with her job, is in charge of stewardship over food and money to help people who don't have enough. In other words, she takes what people supply and give to other people to be generous. Last Sunday, you know, we brought cereal in and brought money in because, doing what Jesus told us to do, we were being generous with our resources and we were doing things so Miss Mary could help people that need things. When we come to church, there'll be four people come down here in a few minutes and they'll, and they'll take these plates and they'll pass them around and what do they collect in those plates? Do any money? Right. Now, what do you think that money is used for huh okay what
0: else
2: right we use that money first of all to have this building where we can worship God and to do things for people like you said that don't have things so we use it to do our ministry and you see Giving to God shows our faith and it says thank you to God because everything we have comes from God. So when we bring our money and put it in this plate, it's like saying thank you God for all the things that you have given us and I hope you will take this money and use it to help other people. People who love Jesus People who love Jesus give money to help others. Now, the Bible even gives us a little bit of direction on this. And I want to show you this. In the Bible, okay, God does not ask for very much. He only asks for 10% of our money. Okay, and that's after taxes, of course. We give to Caesar what is Caesar's. (laughs) Okay, now this is called in the Bible a tithe. See this? Now, to make that make a little more sense to you, what this means, if you had ten one-dollar bills, if you look in the pink box, God asks for one of those ten. Now, look at the purple box. Boy, who gets the most, God or us? Us. God gets the one in the pink box, and that's all he asks us for. And then we are to use the other nine to keep the electricity on, uh, pay for food, take care of our families, and so forth. Now, we can give more than that, but that is the basic that God asks. So he doesn't really ask for a lot. Now, another thing, I want you to look at these boxes. Which box is first? God's box. So this is a lesson kind of for the adults. You know, uh, if you do not, when you're making out what you're going to do with your money, you know, you have to pay rent and electricity and food and all that stuff. You need to have God, number one, on the list. Because if we don't write out that money to God first, we're what? if we don't give it to him first, what might happen to it? If you have extra money, what might you spend it on? All right, you might go buy ice cream, or you may go to the movies on it, or you may do something else. So this is telling us that we give God's first, and then that tells us how much we have left to budget. See, if we don't take God's share out first, then the next thing you know, we're buying something that we see that we want, uh, we go uh, around the Dairy Queen and get a slushy or a blizzard, and, you know, before you know it, we have spent God's part on just frivolous things. So... Now, besides the money, God is also asking us as good stewards to give our time, our talent. Look at these guys all up here. They're giving their time and they're giving their talent to God. Now, they don't spend 24 hours a day doing that, but they spend a part of their time, which is giving God his part. So I want you to take this lesson away and think about the $10 bills. If I had 10 apples up here, one of them would be God's apple. If I have $10, one of them is God's. So that's stewardship. And that's why we're able to have this nice church, to bring people into all of our programs, to bring all those kids in for Upward Basketball and talk about Jesus Christ. So think about this this week, and I ask all of you to think about it, too. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Phyllis. And our children are going off to Children's Church going outside. Boy, I bet you there's some adults that wish they could go too. It's a beautiful day. Please please join me in our responsive reading for today titled Extravagance. Extravagant God who gave all, even your life, without calculating the cost, your love is everywhere. So may we love purely, dangerously, wildly, extravagantly, creating a scandal of grace.
0: Seeing each day as a chance to do a spontaneous, risky act of love.
1: Amen.
3: I want to join me? This next song is uh, a pretty familiar song, I hope, for you. This is called Holy is the Lord, and we'll try to get the words up there right this time for you.
0: joy of the Lord is our strength, we bow down and worship Him now, I pray.
3: Thank
4: you. Scripture today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7 through 15, if you'd like to read along with me. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, So we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter... I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something. Now finish doing it so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need and in order that there may be a fair balance. As it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. Thanks be to God.
3: people said.
1: Thank you so much. And what a wonderful message that is. And I'll remind you that Jesus bid us to take up our cross and to follow him. David Russell is a a pastor in Union City, Tennessee. He tells about a little boy in his church named Nathan. A precocious three year old. And uh, Nathan's parents were trying to teach him what it means to to be in church. And so one Sunday they gave him a dollar bill to place in the offering plate. But when the plate came by and his parents told him to put the dollar in the plate, Nathan balked. He didn't want to put that dollar in that offering plate. And so finally, his mother gently took the dollar bill from him and placed it in the offering plate and passed the plate on down the the rope. Well, suddenly, the stillness of the beautiful offertory music was shattered by a voice demanding, I want my dollar back. I want my dollar back. In Nathan's eyes, he had been robbed, and he wanted everybody to know about it. Well, his parents were embarrassed, of course, and they tried to quiet their son, but he was insistent about this. I want my dollar back. And everybody in the congregation was fighting a losing battle with laughter, and all throughout the final strains of the beautiful musical interlude, the the only thing that most people heard was, I want my dollar back. So eventually, Nathan's parents gave him another dollar bill to hold on to. And he was, he was content enough to, for the congregation to make it through the doxology. Well, Pastor Russell says that as he stepped up into the pulpit, he knew that he needed to say something about this. So looking out into the congregation, he said this. He said, we shouldn't laugh. He said, it may be that Nathan is only voicing the feelings that some of us have after we have given to God. We do so, not joyously, but out of a sense of obligation. And we do so unwillingly. We may not say it, but some of us may think it. I want my dollar back. You may wonder why we're talking about money here in the middle of August. (laughs) we're not having a a financial campaign and there's no special stewardship emphasis going on. It just happens that the text for today from 2 Corinthians is about giving. And you know by now that I am not a pastor who dwells on the subject of money. Um, One of the most prominent pastors in our land, he's now deceased, but he once bragged that he never once went into a pulpit without slipping in a reference to tithing. Now think about that. Every sermon, several times a week, for 50 years, he slipped in a reference to tithing. And I understand that his church did have more than its share of tithers, so I guess, I guess that worked. But I heard about another pastor in a little country church who had a different approach. One Sunday he announced... Before we pass the offering plate, I would like to request that the person who stole the chickens from Farmer Jones' hen house, please refrain from giving any money to the Lord today. The Lord doesn't want the money of a thief. And so the plate was passed, and for the first time in months, everybody gave something. That approach might work. But stealing chickens is probably not a big problem around here. Some of you may remember that wonderful television host, Art Linkletter. But what you may not know is that Art Linkletter grew up in poverty. His father was an itinerant evangelist who sometimes preached on street corners. And his family lived wherever they could on on such money as his father was able to collect with his offerings. Most of the places that they lived were skimpy and and bare. And he says that Christmas and Thanksgiving would have been bleak if the churches hadn't donated their dinners. In fact, Linkletter's first public appearance was in a church. He says that his father used him to help swell the Sunday offering. Dressed in a neat patched clothing, he would solemnly parade up and down the aisles of the church with an offering plate while his father beamed down from the pulpit and encouraged everyone to dig deep, brothers and sisters, for the work of the Lord. Well, that's another way to raise money for the church, I guess. But none of these approaches to raising money quite fit me. It's not that I'm embarrassed to talk about money. I think it may be more of a reaction against some of those television preachers that I don't want to be associated with. But as you may know, Jesus talked more about money than almost any other subject that he talked about. And I think the reason that he did this was because he knew what money could do to people. And he knew the proper place of money in our lives. And don't get me wrong, money is important. It's important. We spend a good bit of our lives working for money. And some of us spend even more time of our lives worrying about money. It's always been like that. Some of you have had a hard year this past year. Some of you have had a number of hard years in a row. Some of you have lost your jobs, and there are declining values of our homes, and some people are upside down in their mortgage, and you're draining, uh, your, your savings account is draining lower and lower, and it's hard. In a free market society, money kind of comes and goes like that. Those of us who have lived long enough have seen the the ebb and flow. Bubbles form and then they burst. Now economists tell us that things are getting better, but there's still a lot of people in pain because of the financial woes that we've had over the past five years. And a lot of people spend a lot of time worrying Because they don't have enough money. But you know something? Money can bring us much pain when we have too much of it as well. For you see, some people, for some people, money becomes their God. And nothing matters as much as holding on to what they have. Back in the 1890s, there was a Turkish wrestler named Yusuf who competed in in Europe and the United States under the name of of the Terrible Turk. He always insisted in being paid for his matches in gold. But after his retirement, he was headed back to Turkey with the gold that he had won. He was planning on going back and opening a coffee shop or something like that there. But, But on the second day at sea, on his way back to Turkey, the ship ran into a storm and it started to sink. Well, Yusuf jumped into the sea near a lifeboat. But the problem was he had all his gold in a money belt. And you know what happened. It pulled him down and he drowned. It's hard to say which is worse. To have money and lose it? Or to become so obsessed with money that it costs you your life? Or your soul? The Apostle Paul was writing through the church at Corinth. And the church at Corinth was relatively well off, at least compared to some of the other churches that, that he founded. Some of the other churches that he started were, were struggling just to survive, and some of their members were literally on the verge of starvation. And so Paul's message to the, the church in Corinth was basically share the wealth. He says, since you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you excel also in this grace of giving. And a little further down, he writes, I do not not mean that there should be relief for others to the point that you are hard-pressed, but it is a question of fair balance between your abundance and their need. You know, you would think that the one place that a, the message of of balance would be acceptable and appreciated would be the church. I mean, after all, when the church first began, the members had all things in common. We read that in the book of Acts. If you need something and I have it, it's kind of like that. And so you would think that the church would say amen to this idea of sharing our resources. But unfortunately, You'd be wrong. I can just hear some of the people in Corinth right now complaining, well, why should we help them? Nobody helped us when we were struggling. And that's human nature, even in churches. Paul knows that. And so Paul appeals not to their human nature, because he knew that wouldn't get him anywhere, but he appeals to the divine nature that God has given to them. And this is what he writes. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that even though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, you might become rich. You see, giving is our response to what God has done for us. The first person to share the wealth was Christ. He shared the riches of God's grace. And so whether it's giving to the local church or, to, or giving to foreign missions or giving to United Way or to the homeless person on the street, there is one motivation for the Christian to give, and here it is. Christ gave, first of all, to us. Leonard Sweet talks about four rules that we live by. The first one he calls the iron rule. And the iron rule says this. Do to others before they do to you. Do to others before they do to to you. You you know anybody like that? (laughs) We We all know people like that. The second rule he calls the silver rule. The silver rule goes like this. Do to others as they do to you. In other words, if somebody does something good for you, then you do something good for them. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. And, and a lot of people by, live by this rule. It's a pretty good rule, but it's not ideal. The third rule is known as the golden rule. We know this, this is the golden rule. This is a rule that Jesus gave to us. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And this is a major step up from the iron rule or the silver rule. In other words, treat people the way you want to be treated. But Sweet adds one more rule to his list, which he calls the titanium rule. And that is, do to others as Jesus has done for you. My friends, Jesus was the original giver. He gave us the gift of salvation and everything we give to His work or as an act of charity is in response to the gift that He has already given to us. So you see, giving is the Christian response to what God's done for us in Jesus Christ. But giving also indicates that we recognize the proper place of money in our lives. Donald Olson quips that the average American is busy buying things he doesn't want with money he doesn't have in order to impress people he doesn't like <laughs> you know that's true isn't it how many how many of us are guilty of that we we buy things we don't want with money we don't have in order to impress people we don't like that can happen so often and and the reason why is because some people are are owned by their money. Money is the mass, their master rather than their servant. And, but when we give to the work of God, we are declaring our freedom from materialism. When we do that, we are serving God and not things. Reverend Bill Hayes tells a beautiful story about some college girls that were renting a house together. And, and one day, an old man appeared at, at their back door, that, and they took one look at him. They were a little leery of this guy. His eyes were a bit glassy, and his wrinkled face glistened with a silver stubble. They thought he was an alcoholic, and, but he held a, a basket with a, a few vegetables in it, which he offered to sell to them. Well, they felt a little uneasy about what they thought was an old drunk on their doorstep, and so they bought some of these vegetables basically to get rid of him. Well, the next day he came back again. He introduced himself as Mr. Roth, a man who lived in the shack down the street, And, and as they got to know him, their fears began to subside, and finally they realized that it wasn't alcohol that glazed his eyes but cataracts. And on subsequent visits, he he would shuffle in, and he was always wearing two mismatched right shoes. (laughs) And he would come in and share his philosophy and tell jokes and became their friend. On one visit, he exclaimed, The Lord is so good. He said, I came out of my shack this morning and I found a bag full of shoes and clothes on my porch. And the girl said, that's wonderful, Mr. Roth. We're we're so happy for you. And he said, and you know what's even more wonderful? Just yesterday, I met some people that could really use those clothes and shoes. No wonder that old man was so happy. He... He owned his material goods. They did not own him. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us that money is the root of all evil. What it tells us is that the love of money is the root of all evil. And I know that there are some things that only money can do. Only money can put food on on our tables because most of us are not farmers. Only money can put clothes on on our backs. Only money can pay the mortgage or the rent or buy fuel for our cars and medicine when we're sick. There are some things that only money can do, but what it can't do is buy us happiness or fulfillment or salvation. And so when we give, it is our response to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And our recognition of the proper place that money has in our lives. Mother Teresa once told about a young Hindu couple that came to her and gave her a large sum of money. And and she asked them, where did you get all that money? Where did you get this much money? And they answered, we got married two days ago. But before we got married, we decided not to celebrate the wedding, not to buy, a wedding, buy wedding clothes, not to have a big reception or a honeymoon. Instead, we wanted to give the money that we saved to you. Well, Mother Teresa knew what, what this decision meant, especially for a, a Hindu family for whom a wedding is a big, big deal. And so she asked them, but how did you think of such a thing? And they answered, We love each other so much that we wanted to share the joy of that love with the people you serve. Folks, that young couple understood better than most of us the place that money is supposed to occupy in our lives. We are to share it with those in need. For it is in giving that we receive the most joy. But there's one more thing that we need to say today, and that is that giving is our declaration of faith in Jesus. You may say something like, well, I would give more to the church and, and to those in need, but I'm, I'm afraid that I won't have enough to meet my own needs. What does that say about your relationship with God? Do you trust God? Has God ever let you down? Now, if you really don't have enough to meet your needs, then don't give, because I don't think God wants you to go hungry if you give your last dime to the church. Don't. But if you refuse to give simply because you're afraid, don't do that either. Frances Ridley Habergau was the daughter of an Anglican pastor and she was chronically ill most of her life and she was known at, she was she was not a woman that was blessed with many wonderful gifts and talents but she desired to give what she had back to Christ she had a passion for missions so one day she determined that she really didn't need all the jewelry that she owned and so she packed it all up in a box except for a a few pieces that that had some sentimental value for her, and she, she shipped it off to the Church Missionary Society and asked them to sell it and use the proceeds for their work. I had no idea I had such a jeweler's shop, she wrote to her friend. Nearly 50 pieces are being packed off. I never packed a box with such pleasure, she said. Now, Francis didn't say what if I need this jewelry someday to pay my bills? She could have. She wasn't a wealthy woman, but she didn't say that. She trusted God. Her simple desire was to give back to God in response to what God had given to her. And of course, we remember Frances Ridley Habergall not because she gave her, her jewelry to missions, But we remember her because of some verses that she wrote from her heart. And they went like this. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be. Thy royal throne. My friends, giving is the Christian response to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It demonstrates our recognition of the proper place of money in our lives. And giving is our declaration of faith in Jesus Christ. There may be those among us who think in our hearts as the offering plates are passed. Like little Nathan, I want my dollar back. But I know most of you, and I suspect that most of us are filled with gratitude for God's gift to us in Jesus Christ. And our deep down desire is to give more if we can, just as Christ has given to us. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of response, and it may be a familiar hymn to you because I just quoted the words. (laughs) Take my life and let it be consecrated. It's number 277, and it's an opportunity for you to respond to the work of God's Holy Spirit in your life, and there are several ways that you can respond. First of all, if you've never made that commitment to Jesus Christ, I would invite you to make that commitment today to say yes to the glorious gift that God has given to you through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is the gift of grace and salvation. And it is a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. So you might say, well, I've had a pretty rotten life and God may not want me. I want to tell you something. God loves you and God wants you. And there's nothing you can do as as good as your life could be to deserve this gift. That's why they call it a gift. You don't deserve it, but God is giving it. If you've never made that commitment to Christ, I hope you'll do it today. Maybe you're looking for a church home. You can respond by uniting with with our church today. Maybe you want to be a part of our fellowship as we pool our gifts, both monetary and talents and time, in order to serve God's kingdom here at Community Baptist. Or maybe you need a time of prayer. We invite you to pray with us as we sing together, Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Would you come? God of compassion, if our thanksgiving is no more than self-congratulations, and if we pray but do not give, and if we do not see you among persons of all races and ages and economic resources, forgive us. Grant unto us a spirit of gratitude that opens our hands and our hearts in the name of Christ, who gave to us. Amen.
0: He became sin Who knew no sin That we might become his righteousness he humbled himself and carried the God.
1: Yeah. The guitar, my guitar
3: wasn't on. Is it easier to, set up, it's easier to set up at Chapel Hill, isn't it, than to set up here for you guys and we practice next time? I can't do it every time.